um, as I approach with fear and trembling, or at least the trembling part this morning. Um, but Happy New Year to you. If I may be, or I should just say that I am the first sermon you've heard this year. Um, that's pretty, pretty sure that unless your New Year's was particularly bad, then maybe the second, but likely the first sermon that you've heard this year, right? You'll be glad to know this certainly won't be the longest. But I do want to bring our attention today to Deuteronomy and give us a way to bridge the fall and advent into the new year. Um, this morning we'll be in Deuteronomy 18, and I hope this is a natural bridge or transition between this rich exploration of Elijah and Elisha's ministries this fall in the histories of the kings and our Advent series on the hope of Israel in Jesus the Messiah and our deep swim in Hebrews that's coming this spring beginning next week. Specifically, this morning, just in our short time together, I want to cause us to confront our relationship to God's prophecy. And I want to simply set that in the context of where we are right now. We've just tracked the lives of two of Israel's greatest prophets, and we're about to enter the New Testament book that quotes the Old Testament almost more than any other. And today marks the entering, obviously, of our new year. So the connection point, I think, for today, why today's a kind of bridge in and of itself, is that both where we've been as a church and where we are going find their center in Jesus. Elijah and Elisha's prophecy had the ministry of Jesus as its center, right? That was the natural center of their ministry. And Hebrews' entire message, the whole book, is that Jesus is better than all else. But today, more than at any other time, you must be wondering, what will make this year, which starts today, right now, different than any other that's come before? Why will this year be any different? Will this year be any different? Um, I'm blessed to be a youth pastor it means that I get to spend my time ministering to our church's most grateful and fun group and all of their cynical parents. Um, and this week, one of our sharp students shared a video where a person's recollection of 2016 was turned into a horror movie. Financial woes, uh, market instability and contraction, shameful public rhetoric and shallowness of thought, the uncertainty of such a divisive election cycle has thrust us into. All of it was the fear factor in a fictional movie set in 2017 and haunted by 2016. It was just scary enough to be funny, you know? You crossed you cross that line. Even as a person who is a third to halfway through life, I'm already finding it more than a little difficult each year to reckon the events of the last, of the last year with what I believe and with my own experience as a person. But nonetheless... I, like you, I think, want to know what will happen in 2017, right? More than that, as a Christian, I want to know what to do in 2017, who to listen to, what to attend to. I want to know how to pay attention. So maybe this is a good time for us to attend to Jesus together, to believe and have good reason to believe right out of the pages of Scripture that our prophet Jesus has gone before us, is with us now, and will go after us, same as at any other time. And to believe that even after his incarnation and ascension, God has given us, Jesus, as our final prophet. To give us peace and confidence, even when, and this is the case now, the future is especially uncertain. So let's read our text, which is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22. If you look in front of you, there's a blue Bible in the pew. You're welcome to open that or open your own to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet will die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word of the, that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray now and ask God to teach us his word. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, God, give us, um, give us wisdom beyond ourselves this morning to see and hear um, the truth and the good news that you have for us here in Deuteronomy. pray that you would um, attend to us, Father, in our, our hearing from your word and that you would give us hope and confidence um, in you for this new year. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as we listen for God's voice briefly in this text this morning, I want us to consider two things, okay? Just two things. I want us to first look at false prophets, then at the final prophet, okay? First, false prophets, then at the final prophet. So first, false prophets. Well, Christianity 101, back to basics. Back to basics. There is such a thing. There are false prophets. This is scattered throughout the Old Testament in dramatic ways sometimes. It's also present in the New Testament, like in John's letter to the churches. There are false prophets. There are those who come in God's name and are not from God. This should sober us. I think it does. It should sober us, but it shouldn't shock or dismay us. It has always been the case, like it was here. And we now have God's perfect and complete revelation in Scripture, His revealed Son and His Spirit. We are well equipped to discern between a false prophet and a true prophet. But that was Israel's first and maybe most important mistake as we try to understand where this text fits in the story. That's where it all started. She thought she lacked. It's as simple as that. Think about those years in the desert. First, they thought they liked a plan, then food, then leadership, then a God. And Moses is constantly trying to persuade them, to reassure them that they have God, that he is leading them, he's gone before them, he is caring for them, that he has their, power, their future in his powerful hands. But where this text is set today, in the middle of Israel's story, this is at the point of persistent unbelief on Israel's part. I'll tell you that Israel was looking, I think, for the same thing that we were looking for, a prophetic voice. They didn't want anything strange. They certainly didn't want Moses, some shepherd with hair in his ears, who was so embarrassed and scared that he fled the country and abandoned his own people. Right? They wanted a king, a mighty man. I hope you're seeing some parallels. Who do we want to listen to? The strongest person we could find, right? What do we look for in a prophet, in a prophetic voice? We look for strength importance. Other people regard this voice as important. We look for unwavering confidence. I think we have some choices when it comes to selecting a prophet too, right? 
just to take a few that came to mind. Um, health and wealth, they can be your profit. They say things like, you'll feel better if you adopt this new workout regimen, right, or this diet. This will be your best year yet. Can't tell you why, but it will be. Just stay positive, right? Stay positive. Or the, the soul-crushing, you can be a more present, mindful person if you just pay more attention to A, B, C, D, E, F, G, X, Y, like you have just a never-ending supply of attention. Another choice would be progress. Right? The modern, this is kind of the modern intellectual, the one who considers themselves intellectual, this is their profit. It says, let's keep improving. New year, better you. This prophet is essentially humanistic, right? And it says that if you get just a little bit better, just, just a little better every year, then that's the best you can do. That's happiness. That's the collective good. That's good for us as humans. Or maybe a third option, success. The traditionalist prophet, one that many of us, I'm sure, are very familiar with. It says something like, if you just put your head down and work hard, the future will take care of itself. Don't worry about the circumstances Work hard, don't worry about the future, and you'll be prepared for it when it comes. But what's the problem with all of these false prophets? They all have some good things about them, right? Don't get me wrong. Why not give at least some of them some of your attention as voices of authority in your life? Even if you doubt them as good prophets, how do you tell the difference, right, between the New Year's message of from well-wishers telling you to be healthy and well and God's call to obedience and sacrifice. Even when you're trying, how do you tell the difference? Uh, But God, right? God in his usual God way, he has anticipated your question. He was expecting you. In verse 21, if you look at the text, we see one way is to verify the prophet's words. How do we do that? The text says, if the word does not come If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. But to make matters even more complicated for us, right, often these other prophets' words do come true. They do come to pass. And so they too offer biblical long-term verification. The point is you don't need to be a fool to listen to them. That's the problem. The wise listen as well as the fool. The most popular false prophet, I think, though, Far and away is the all-knowing self. If you think back on what just the popular terms of last year, just the waters we're swimming in right now, how often did you hear something like, you do you, right? Or no one knows what's better for you, what's best for you other than you. How often did you hear something like that? Something that amounted to, you are the very highest voice of authority in your life, and no one can challenge that. Um, one author writing in a style kind of uh, style column in the New York Times this summer, she was writing about the desire to to pay for own way for um, for clothing, to dress the way that she wants. The, the article's title was "Don't Dress Your Age," implied dress how you want to dress. She says this: "All this nonsense is why I adore the funky grandmothers you can find on Instagram who dance about in baubles and proudly sport." turbans. They refuse to fade, hide, or match their attire to the wallpaper. Listen to what she says here. But my greatest mutton fantasy is just to wear and do what I want, to not have such preoccupations even cross my mind. Isn't there a point when one can simply be a dowager, a grand old dame, or just a merry old boiler, when we can refuse to kowtow to prescriptions and permissions, but just march on in the shoes we fancy wearing? 
She closes by saying, I have long savored the prospect of letting myself go. It's just the most delicious concept. A balloon wafting into the ether, a raft flowing smoothly with the current. What's she saying? It's a funny article. You should, you should read it. What's she saying? She longs for liberation from herself as one who disapproves of herself. She longs to be rid of the role of being her own prophet, right? To have another voice who speaks over her, who has something to say to her that is more important than what she says about herself. This is where the self as authority comes tumbling down. Um, as Mike Tyson famously said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? If you're your own prophet, your future black eye is just waiting for you. This author, she is far too naive about her own kindness as a self-critic. Just think about it. Think about it yourself. What did you tell yourself in a moment of fear recently, in a moment of self-doubt, when that sad serpentine voice slid some questions about your appearance into your mind? It asked if you were um, pretty enough, good-looking enough to share that picture, right, or in good enough shape to wear that, to pull it off. Or maybe as you contemplated New Year's resolutions, as I did, in a moment of hope, maybe resolve, it asked if you're in good enough shape to even show up in the gym, right? There is no criticism as sharp as that which comes from yourself about yourself. Boiled down, it sounds like this. The things we tell ourselves don't lead us to God. Or in other words, we don't make very good prophets. We can't speak to ourselves or choose someone to speak to us. No, instead, God must choose a prophet for us. That is the first point this text is making. God must choose a prophet for us. He must provide us a prophetic voice. So first false prophets, now the final prophet. If false prophets are so plentiful, right, so easy to believe, to trust, then, then what are we to do? This is sounding like it's going to be pretty hard, right, to discern God's prophetic voice. Who is this new and final prophet that God will raise up for us? How can we hope to listen to God's message this year to listen to his messenger if we can't even identify him. And more than all that, Moses was God's prophet for a time, right? But, he, but he's not around anymore. Elijah and Elisha, they were God's prophets, but they're not here. What will make another prophet, a new prophet, any more lasting, any more durable than these fine folks, these titans, right, of redemptive history? I suggest this passage holds at least a few keys, I think three keys to be exact, and these keys point in their immediate moment, get this, forward to the better prophet and for us backward to the final prophet. The prophet who confronts, right, who deals with the ways that we insert ourselves into the place of the voice of the prophet. We make ourselves the prophet. This final prophet confronts that idea. So look with me for a moment. We'll look at these really briefly. First in verse 15, it tells us that God himself will choose the prophet for us. So not only are we freed from the responsibility of selecting our own prophet, but we are also assured that the one who knows all will wisely provide for us a prophet of his own choosing. We will have the perfect prophet. In plain English, God will give us the right voice to listen to. He assures us of that right here. And why is that good news? He promises us, and he has shown through history, that he won't lead us astray with words that might be his, Right? Or messages that may show us what he wants us to know about him. But he will convey to us the exact imprint of his nature, as Hebrews 1 tells us. That is how close 
God brings us to himself. That is how close you are to knowing God's mind for you. And what he tells us, he brings us face to face, right, with his exact nature, not even a degree off. Second, God's prophet will be human. Moses tells us in verse 15 and then remembers God's words. He repeats them in verse 18 that the final prophet of God will be like him, a human person. At that time, this was large in part to set Israel apart, to distinguish Israel from the nations around them who claimed to have men who were half divine or maybe full of gods to seek wisdom from them, the prophetic voice from those. Israel is set apart. But, but it's also important to us now because God hasn't changed his word. Right? Our final prophet will still be a human, the one who has spoken words of truth and grace, and just as true in 2017 as they were in 2016 or any time that's come before, is a person, even on the same level, the same plane as we are. Did you notice that in verse 15? It says, he will be chosen from among brothers, the text says. Our final prophet will be like us in every way. No mystical, far-off diviner, no magic eight ball, and no sorcerer who demands your loyalty first before he will sacrifice and offer himself to you. Jesus is the other way around. And third, the prophet will speak God's own words. Verse 18, the apostles Peter and Stephen in their earliest preaching in Acts 2 and 7, they look at these exact verses. They quote them in the midst of huge obstacles to identify Jesus as God's great and final prophet. So our final prophet is one of God's own choosing. It's a man among peers, chosen from among brothers, and speaking the very words of God. So why am I telling you all this? Just throwing a lot of information stuff at you. Why am I telling you all this? Because what we're all looking for, especially in this moment, embarking on a new year, we're looking for a trustworthy voice, right? A connection to God. A personal word from God that we can count on. God shows us right here that we already have this. He tells us why we have solid reason to have real confidence that he has given us his chosen prophet. In each of these truths, he gives us specific confidence that the final prophet who Moses told us about, who God promised us, has been revealed in the Son of God. In fact, that is exactly how Hebrews introduces us to Jesus. It marks him as the new, the final prophet, as the one who shared in our sufferings, right? who was made exactly like us in every way, to know what it is to be human, to know as a human what anxiety for the future feels like, to know how it feels to look at our finances, as you may be doing around this time, and to think there's just no way that you can have enough for the coming year, even for the coming month, to wonder what the future holds, and to know if you'll even have a future that is worth living. So what do I do with all this? What do you do? Here are some, some takeaways. I think sometimes we um, preachers confuse hearing and preaching, and not just preachers either, anyone, all of us who call ourselves by the name Christian, we learn to teach, right, and to, to speak the gospel in plain words. We may, might even become adept at it, my own preaching notwithstanding. But when it comes to our listening, we act like ignorant children, don't we, when it comes to listening. Because listening isn't hanging intently on someone's speech. So that's the idea we often have for listening, right, paying attention, remembering. The test is something like, can you repeat it back? Do you know what I just said? But the listening that Moses is talking about here doesn't happen in the mind any more than following a great fire in verse 16 happens in your mind. You don't do that in your mind. 
You do it in word. You do it in action, right? In fear and trembling, in giving and receiving, in testimony and mercy and creating beautiful things and serving and helping people. The offices in our church, in the church, aren't listener and thinker, are they? No, it's the one who teaches and the one who serves, both active, both doing. Of course, they have to be done while listening, remembering, and thinking. Of course they do, but these were never meant to be separated. Jesus, the prophet, is our prophet, the one who has come to compel us to worship, to be free to actually obey him, and in doing so, to take part in changing the world, one act of mercy and one word of grace at a time. Also, I'm aware, too, that discernment is really hard. Right? Discerning Jesus' teaching in a big story and amidst the noise of life is even harder. If you're hearing this and you're wondering how to listen to Jesus as your prophet, as the voice of authority in your life, you might find it helpful to ask some questions of the prophetic voices that you come across, of the voices that vie for your loyalty. A great biblical scholar of the 19th century Raymond Brown, he recommends these questions when you hear a prophetic voice. Ask these. First, does the Bible, God's word, support this new truth? Second, does this new truth encourage Christ-likeness? And third, does the indwelling spirit of God confirm this new truth? He says this is a good Trinitarian test for your prophetic voice. Also, as you pray, right? As you pray, either if you're praying for the first time, investigating Jesus of the Bible, and and we're glad you're here. This is a place you can do that. If that's how you're praying for the first time, or if you've prayed one million times, consider how unique Jesus is as a prophet. How he is an authoritative voice that you can never be for yourself. And consider and rely on prayer, knowing that the the mere possibility of prayer presupposes atonement. Right? In other words, when you pray, you can do so only because Jesus is the final prophet. He has already made the way from God to you. He has spoken the final prophecy. More truly, he is the way from God to you. That is the truest prophetic voice. One that first offers you everything, then promises you more than you could dream of. Acceptance by God and life and peace forever in Christ. As we move toward the table this morning and as we close, remember we said that Elijah and Moses were both taken away, right? They're no longer here. Why is that? Why is that? It begs our asking the bigger question. How is Jesus a better prophet? The question that our text, you could say, is all about this morning. How is Jesus this better and final prophet? Deuteronomy, earlier in this chapter, even summons this idea when it describes the Levites, right, God's chosen uh, priestly tribe, as those who have no inheritance. While every other tribe was entitled to a share, a portion of Israel's wealth, the Levites were not. Rather, they were prescribed the Lord's offerings as their inheritance. Going even further, it says that the Lord is their inheritance. You can look back afterward and read that in the first part of chapter 18. It says the Lord is their inheritance. This is the role that Jesus, our final prophet, willingly entered into. He was pleased to take us as his inheritance and to share with us all of his inheritance, the riches of the kingdom of God. Moses was God's prophet for a time, but but he was not enough. How do we know that? Because Moses was taken away. A final prophet was promised and a final prophet has come. Elijah and Elisha were the same, right? But the Lord Jesus, our final prophet, has become both prophet and prophecy. 
In other words, as our prophet, he is both the authoritative voice and the word. He comes to us personally, offering himself at his own table, right? At his own table, to wandering, blind, and gullible people like us. He is unchanging, but ever-present. And he sets the table with himself for us to feed upon him, to physically take him as our confidence. Bottom line, you need a prophet whose first word is always grace to you. Not do more, not be more, but Jesus saying, you are already enough for me. So as you look into 2017, church, take this bread and this wine, Jesus' own body and blood, and hold it with confidence, expecting it to clarify your path in 2017. Let's pray together. Our Father, we give you thanks for um, not only knowing what is coming for us, but giving us the final word that we can hold on to in Jesus Christ, the one who has come before us, um, is spiritually present with us now, and is returning for us. God, thank you for sending your spirit to, um, to be our comfort, to be our helper, to be the one who is with us, bearing witness to the truths we've just now read about and heard about. We pray that you would um, impress these upon us, Father. Give us hope for the hopeless. Um, give, us, give us comfort for the hurting. Um, give us relief for the afflicted and for the burdened. We pray, Father, that um, as we come to your table, that you would give us confidence in the body and blood of your son, Jesus. That you would give us confidence to look up with, with eyes that are raised um, and are ready to greet 2017 as it's already here, knowing that you have already been here, Father, that you have prepared um, this year for us, that you have worked in it and have prepared works for us. We pray that you would help us to, to greet it and embrace it boldly, and that we would be your church um, in beauty and splendor because you're making us that way in 2017 like we have never seen it before. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.